Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to episode number 10 of Finding Extraordinary. 100%. I am less excited about how people reveal themselves when they have hit a milestone or succeeded. I'm more interested in the character that is revealed every single day when nobody's watching, when you're just doing your thing. You know, are you patient with the people around you? Are you forgiving to yourself? Are you excited? Do you show energy and enthusiasm for whatever it is that you're doing? I feel it's the everyday that reveals true character because everyone changes once you become successful <laughs> or once you hit a milestone. Mm -hmm. But it's the everyday grind that I think really, and the routines, the habits, I think mean, that's what really reveals character. So 100% with you, man. My next guest comes all the way from India. And his name is Daniel Ramamurthy. Most people know him as Dan Ram. Dan is an entrepreneur, a professional speaker, an MC, and coach. Dan has his economics degree from Yale. He also has an MBA from Trinity College. He's worked with the UN and World Vision. And he's also been the advisor to the National Government of Ireland. Now, Dan also usually speaks at 80 to 100 events a year, and those events that he hosts and MCs are some of the biggest startup and tech conferences around the world, including the World Economic Forum, South by Southwest, Web Summit, Bits and Pretzels, Slush, The Next Web, and others on four different continents. At these events... Dan has introduced or interviewed some of the biggest names that you would know today. People like Sir Richard Branson, Reed Hoffman, Jessica Alba, oh, and, and one guy named Barack Obama. There is no better way to celebrate this milestone of the 10th episode of Finding Extraordinary than to have Daniel Remworthy as my guest. Now, before we get started, I do have to let you know that this was the first time I did a recording remotely, which means I recorded in a place that was physically different than where my guest was located. Now, with that said, the quality of the sound may not sound as good as some of my other podcasts, but I do promise you it's still very, very good. And also, there are a few technical disturbances throughout the conversation that I wasn't able to edit only because I would have to delete the entire soundbite and I did not want to delete any of this conversation. So, now that the air is cleared, in this episode, we talk about Dan's background and mindset. We also talk about how to become a professional speaker, your values and daily routine. Then we talk about one of the greatest lessons that Dan learned from Jay, who happens to be Beyonce's manager and Jay-Z's business partner, the lesson being time is our greatest asset. Then we get into who are the real entrepreneurs and what makes an entrepreneur. Then we talk about how to be intentional about the people in your life, flow state, meditation, and dialogue with ourselves. Then we talk about the subconscious and how music affects your life. After that, we talk about Dan being a musician and how he was able to transition into becoming a speaker. 
we talk about the growth mindset versus the fixed mindset, and then how application, implementation, and execution is not pretty, but it is necessary. Then we talk about the entrepreneur life versus the career job life. Then we talk about the struggles of business and how those struggles can turn into gifts, the journey versus the destination, how to start now and start simple, and then say yes. Then we get into mentorship, then books, and then finally, how to find your extraordinary. Now, without any further ado, let's get it started. The truth is, no one is born extraordinary, but everyone has extraordinary inside of them. It just has to be found. Welcome back to Finding Extraordinary. I am your host, Seth Markson. Each and every episode will deliver an exciting guest or message that will expand your mind and provide insight that will help unlock the secrets to finding your extraordinary. Thank you for spending some time with me. Let's get it started. Dan Ram in India. How are you? <laughs> I am doing really well. I, we're on opposite sides of the planet right now, but I hope that you are feeling as positive and happy as I am. And also, right before we start, I want to say thank you for having me on the podcast. An honor, and I can't wait for our conversation. Yeah, same, same here. Um, I am thrilled to have you on the podcast. We, we've been going back and forth in, uh, in text communication on Instagram, and dude, uh, ever since I started following you, I feel that I've been more inspired. Um, I've become smarter and just uh, more aware of what's going on and what's what's really possible uh, for for me and just things things that can happen just in general for anybody. So I want to say thank you for that, Dan. Seriously, I am so honored and delighted. Uh, that is exactly the intention behind social media, and I think for a lot of people, maybe your own story here, Seth, that. You know, most people passively consume on social media. And there was a period about two years ago that I was thinking, man, this is a platform to build, to create. And what do I want to do? What will be my contributions? I went very much from passive to active. And at that point, I made a decision that given that I feel so richly blessed in my work, in what I do, in my resources, my network, and my opportunities, I wanted to share that with others. Not to boast or gloat, this isn't a profile with Lamborghinis and fancy mansions. This is very much practical steps. What can people do in their own lives to find their own calling, their own purpose, and to achieve that? So I'm delighted that you have felt that and that you've activated that yourself in your own life. Yeah, no, and I, I really, really appreciate that. Um, you know, I kind of, like I was telling you before we got, we got started here, I really love mindset. I love getting into how people think because I, I think that makes the difference in everything. It, everything starts with a thought, turn, and if you turn that into an action, anything's possible. And you've kind of have lived that way to, to um, really bring the opportunities for yourself. I mean, uh, some of the best TEDx talks um, that I've seen 
are are they're amazing and then i've watched yours and they're right up there it's like man you're right in the mix of of some of the best speeches that you know that are that are up there so i kind of want to dive into your mindset i want to talk about how you've been able to develop that and open up these amazing opportunities for yourself and you know one of the coolest things that i think you've done is not just be the mc and the um, the opener for a lot of these tech conferences, but you introduced Barack Obama on the stage, man. <laughs> I mean, that is awesome. Yes, uh, there've been some, there've been lots of highlights uh, along the way. I'll, I'll just give this as a disclaimer. What I do currently, I did not plan for, I did not prepare for, I did not anticipate. So this journey, this roller coaster ride is as exciting and fascinating for me as it is for those who are watching me do it. Uh, so even if I may come across as nailing it on stage, I am pinching myself going, how did this happen? How am I in this position? So it's, it's been a very exciting ride. But yes, we will talk about mindset because for some people, life is linear. They were six years old and they want to be a firefighter. They were 10 years old. They still want to be a firefighter. At 16, they start training for it. At 22, they get the dream of being a firefighter. It's linear. And for some people, possibly more people, life is a little bit more of a mystery. There are lots of doors that could be open. There's lots of doors that you wish that were open that are actually closed. And really, for me, it's been having the right mindset because I have been able to do some ridiculously cool things, not because I carefully scripted, controlled, and made it happen for myself, but because I received, because I submitted, and I, they were really gifts. I mean, life has gifted me some of the most incredible opportunities rather than me coming out exhausted and overwhelmed because I forced my way through. So we'll, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about the mindset kind of helps with that. But I just want to put that as a disclaimer that while in this podcast, I may look through the rearview mirror and share a few practical steps how I got there. The reality is it's more about just knowing how to drive rather than knowing where I'm driving, if that makes any sense. Makes total sense. And I think a good place to start with everything is what, what was your intention? What was your drive to to do what you wanted to do? Like, what was it that you wanted to do? I didn't have one. I, I, I was never one of those kids. You know when parents come in or adults ask, what do you want to be when you grow up? I didn't really have a good answer. The truth is, even at a young age, I liked to be good or great at whatever I could do. I was always competitive, if not with others, then just with myself. And I was always very meticulous in my preparation and rehearsals for whatever it was. And so even at a young age, whether it was sport, whether it was theater, whether it was student leadership, whether it was my studies, whether it was volunteer work, whether it was extracurriculars outside the school in church and in the community, I always, always, always gave my best. You would have never seen me show up mediocre for anything. I'll give you a silly example. I was quite a overweight kid uh, at certain points in my life. And <laughs> so we had a swim uh, meet, swim competition in the school. And all the fit, cool kids competed with things like breaststroke and front crawl and butterfly and, you know, the main swimming techniques. 
And then the kids who were not that great at swimming competed in <laughs> the silly made-up competition of who could walk across the pool the fastest, huh. right? So that was a competition. But even that, even what was the lowest of the low competition lanes walking through a pool, I practiced for that. I woke up early in the morning and day after day, I practiced and I figured out, should I walk sideways? Should I hop? Should I skip? Should I walk forward? Like what is the best way to get through the water the fastest if you're walking? So even in the smallest of things, even when I was asked to just read a Bible verse in church or read a passage in a book in class, basic things I would practice. I would practice, I would practice, I would practice. So for me, I think what I focused on at a young age was not what I was doing, but how I was doing it. For me, it was less about the big, say, goals or objectives and more about behaviors and methodologies. And I think that is what I really honed in on at a young age. And we can talk a little bit about the influences that caused that. But for me, I'd say my childhood is what prepared me for this world of rapid change and constant evolution and adaptation because that's, it's the methodologies that I focused on. So now it doesn't matter what I'm doing. If I'm advising the national government, if I'm a radio presenter, if I am on stage speaking or emceeing, if I'm in the background consulting or running workshops, it's the habits, the behaviors, the methodologies that I mastered at a young age and I continue to really hone in on even now. And that's what prepares me to give my best at whatever I'm doing. That is phenomenal. Um, I, I feel that methodologies and behaviors are also what makes up character. Would you agree? 100%. 100%. I am less excited about how people reveal themselves when they have hit a milestone or succeeded. I'm more interested in the character that is revealed every single day when nobody's watching when you're just doing your thing, you know, are you patient with the people around you? Are you forgiving to yourself? Are you excited? Do you show energy and enthusiasm for whatever it is that you're doing? I feel it's the everyday that reveals true character because everyone changes once you become successful <laughs> or once you hit a milestone. Mm -hmm. But it's the everyday grind that I think really, and the routines, the habits, I think that's what really reveals character. So 100% with you, man. Now, I think that's this is a good segue to dive into uh, things that you do every day or things that you ha uh, have developed over time to do every day. Is there a routine that you have like when you wake up or just something that you do every single day? Yes and no. So for those who do not know, I am a professional speaker and MC. What that means is that I am on a plane about once to twice a week to a different part of the world where I host massive tech conferences. Now, by massive, I have to say it's not quantitative necessarily. I don't mean just size. They're massive because I really believe that they're going to change the planet. So whether it's things like artificial intelligence or the future of mobility, whether it is the future of health or cities, whether it's in universities exciting the next generation of creators and builders, or whether it's with the CEOs of some of the largest companies in the world, they're massive to me because I really believe in their impact, which is why I give so much of my time facilitating these. So I do about 80 to 100 events a year. 
So that's how I get to one to two flights a week to a different part of the world. I work on four continents. So with that, everything is changing, right? It's not just the time zone, but literally the bed I sleep on changes every two to three days. The switches in the hotel room that I'm in changes every few days. How the tap switches on and off, how I flush the toilet without <laughs> getting too graphic. All of those things keep changing. The food changes, the language changes, the weather changes, uh, even the clothes I wear and the way I behave changes every two to three days. But if I can rewind to my childhood again, my childhood also involved constant change because I'm the son of an Indian diplomat. So what that meant is as a diplomatic family, every two to three years, we move to a new country. So even though now I'm doing rapid change every two to three days, as a kid, every two to three years, I grew up in a different school, in a different language, in a different culture, different fashion, different weather, different everything. My friends change, my activities change, everything changed every two to three years. So I have, from a young age, held close to me a few things and been super open about most things. So the few things that I hold very dear to me, both back then and now, one, I really value the importance of spirituality. I think when everything is changing, it is important to have, to be grounded in something. And for some, it is, you know, it's future goals and things like that. But I like to be also grounded in things that I feel are eternal, things that were before me, things that are still now and things that will continue even after I'm gone. And so for me, that is the world of spirituality. And that's something that has been a daily routine from the time I was a kid whether it is meditating and mindfulness exercises, whether it is reading my Bible, whether it's listening to amazing music that really just fuels me and inspires me, that's been a constant and a daily part of my routine. I feel like fitness, honoring the body that we have while we're on this planet is also key. So I have always made time for sport, whether it's an early morning jog, whether it's a post-work workout in the gym, whether it's playing sports, uh, team sports with friends on weekends or in the evenings, I've always made time for sports. And then more recently, I'd say in the last three to four years, I've been really protective of my morning routine. So if you follow me on social media, you know that I do this thing called the three G's on Mondays, but secretly I do them every single day. I only <laughs> publicize them on Mondays, but my three G's are the things that fuel me. I feel like most people wake up in the morning and they are a victim to their world. What I mean by that is they just respond to whatever the world throws at them. So if the boss sends an email saying, this is your task for the day, that's what they then focus on for the rest of the day. If they wake up and the first conversation they have is negative, then the rest of the day they just feel negative. I, on the other hand, really protect the first 90 minutes to two hours of every day. And there's a few things I do during those two hours. I'm not overly religious about the order or how long I spend on them, but I do the things that fuel me. So my three G's are God, gym, and goals. And so that is what I focus on because that's really what fuels me and helps me focus on the things that give me life, that make me feel truly, truly passionate and alive. And in those morning routines are things like journaling, gratitude, having a really nice breakfast, having conversations that lift me up, whether that is a phone call with a friend or a nice heart to heart with a parent or, you know, just the conversations that remind me today's a good day. Today could be a great day. 
today is a, is an opportunity to be seized. So that's the kind of stuff that I do that are routines. It's like spirituality, fitness, and that morning time. And then I'm now trying to institute an evening uh, routine as well, a wind down. So this is more new for me, but just to make sure that I switch off my brain so I can sleep really well. I've never had issues with sleeping, which is why I haven't overly fixated on it. But I just feel it's probably another healthy routine, just as much as I protect the first 90 minutes to two hours, the first two hours of every day. Maybe I should give 30 to 45 minutes every night, again, to wind down kind of activities. So getting rid of that phone and maybe focusing on reading, maybe a little bit more journaling, maybe having a nice heart to heart with a good friend. But again, just making sure my heart and my mind are in a good place when I go to bed. Got it. That is, that's awesome because the more people that I talk to, especially on this platform, um, there are people that are doing extraordinary things like yourself and they have a, there's a lot of similarities. Uh, what I've heard is from a lot of them is that they protect their morning. It's like they own it. They own their morning. They don't let anyone take that away from them. Just like you were saying. And it's very, very cool on my end to see that that's that's a trend amongst people who are doing amazing things so uh, to hear that from you i mean that's that's pretty cool dan yeah I'll, I'll tell you what triggered this it was a conversation with beyonce's manager so i was backstage about to introduce this guy called jay from rock nation and jay is the business partner of jay-z and they both have this massive empire that manages big stars and celebrities, including athletes and including musicians and artists, but also including real estate and restaurants. And it's just massive. So I was going to introduce him on stage and we were just chatting backstage and he knows how, how much I adore and love Beyonce. So I asked him tongue in cheek and I was like, Hey Jay, of all the things that you own and manage, what is your greatest asset? And I expected him, like I teed him up to give me the answer I wanted to hear, which was <laughs> Beyonce is the greatest asset I own or manage. And on the other hand, he just very quietly said, Dan, businesses come and go, relationships come and go, and opportunities come and go. Everything in life is in cycles. They come and go. But the only thing that goes and never comes back is time. So time is my greatest asset. And that really, that conversation really hit me in a deep level. I was like, that is so true. I think we peg too much of our identity in material things or in opportunities or in dreams when really right now, this moment, we possess it and it is our greatest asset this moment. Well, I mean, talk about, you know, timing, no pun intended, but at, at this moment right now, we're both uh, right in the middle of, you know, the quote unquote pandemic. And there's not really much that I know in me being in the States, there's not much that I can really do. So I have all this time on my hands. Everyone around me has all this time on my hands and on social media, I see people, uh, you know, going, going nuts because they, they don't know what to do when, you know, I'm thinking to myself, man, 
I've got all this time to be productive and do these things that I've always wanted to do. I want to focus more on writing. I want to focus more on my public speaking. I want to focus more on building this podcast on, and I haven't had the time to do it, but now, you know, for the foreseeable future until everything uh, slows down, I've got all this time. So, and you know, the, I, I try to look at the positives of everything and that's how I'm looking at this current situation. And I think that just, totally relates to to the story that you had you know absolutely and i think this pandemic that we're going through is a great test of who the real entrepreneurs are and who are not i think a lot of people think that entrepreneurship is about pursuing a dream and being your own boss and it's about um, making more money than you could having a nine-to-five job or whatever else and it really is not the everyday grind of being an entrepreneur is incredible time management. It's discipline. It's knowing how to break down what seems like impossible goals into very doable, practical goals every day. It's those kind of things. And now that people actually possess time, like they have time to do the things they want to do, this is what differentiates those who use it to binge on Netflix, to uh, waste time on social media, to get stressed out by the fact the world has stopped versus those who are seizing the opportunity to upskill, to grow. Last night, about 1130 at night, I was looking at online courses on trading because I just realized that even right now when the economies are tanking in some parts of the world, there is still an opportunity in that. And there is a skill set that I do not possess. And I would like to learn it. And so I'm investing in myself to be upskilling and growing during this time. This is not a time to be silent or to dip or to relax. It's a time to grow. I also have found, obviously right now I can't host events because events have been canceled worldwide. But I also have always coached and trained people in public speaking and in becoming professional speakers and in pitching and things like that. And I have seen the real winners, the people who are, seizing this opportunity, coming to me and saying, Dan, now's our chance. Let's go. One-on-one coaching. This is the moment. I've got four weeks here that I could really launch myself as a professional speaker at the end of this. I've got six weeks to improve on my communication skills. Let's go. And that is what really excites me is just seeing those who can see the opportunity in adversity, which to me is the mark of a real entrepreneur, versus those who do not know what to do with themselves during this time. And hate to say it, but the truth is painful. They're not entrepreneurs. <laughs> and um, I feel like a nine to five or having a boss is actually a greatest gift. Because uh, if you can't manage your own time, if you can't create the time or make the time for things that matter to you, then let someone else help you figure that out. Oh, one, 100%, 100%, 100%. And you said something, um, said something there that, that I really like personally. Uh, when you when you are coaching these people who are, you know, ready to get going, they're take, they're seizing this opportunity and adversity. Um, it excites you, and I think a lot of successful entrepreneurs and correct me if I'm wrong, they're the ones who who make their own atmosphere. They bring in the people that really excite them, that bring the energy, so they can keep their energy up. So in a roundabout way you're bringing in all these people around you who are excited, excited and fired up in a, in a time 
and and moment that doesn't necessarily you know um cause a lot of uh motivation and inspiration and it and i'm sure you're waking up every morning uh fired up as well absolutely the people closest to you deeply influence you more than you recognize every i'm sure you've heard about this phrase you know you're only as good as the five people closest to you and it is so very true i remember early jan when the first cases of coronavirus came out and i remember my closest friends even back then saying we'll have to think about the shift we'll have to think about the pivot because things are going to change and so in a very organized calm measured way we all did brainstorming sessions as to what are we going to use this time to do so then when the governments made a actual ban on travel and forced a halt and quarantining and you know self-isolating and all of that stuff we were prepared for weeks in advance. I knew exactly what my game plan was. The, I, and I was happy to travel until I couldn't travel anymore. And there was no panic or anything of that sort. Even when I'm watching people now, I think it's just because too many people are being reactive rather than proactive. And I think it's because of your friend circle. If you have the right people that can see the future, that can be calm, measured, and intentional, then you'll be calm, measured, and intentional. If you have friends that panic and are hysterical, there's a good chance that you'll panic and you'll be hysterical. And I'm not saying that you should just cut out people from your life, but I should say you should be intentional about people in your life. I have certain WhatsApp groups where there is a lot of doom and gloom. And for me, I'm still in those groups because I still want to be connected with how other people feel. And I want to be empathetic to the realities of people who are panicking during this time. But they're not the people, those are not the groups I spend most of my time on. Those are groups that I spend some time on, but I spend most of my time with my closest friends who are very much around, all right, Dan, let me hold you accountable. What do you want to get done today? Let's make sure you get it done today. And I do the same for them as well. And they go, okay, Dan, what are your goals for the next two weeks? And I ask them what are their goals for the next two weeks. And that's where I spend most of my time. So most of my time and attention is spent on things like self-development and growth. And then some of my time is spent on maybe how the rest of the world is feeling and how the quote-unquote other are feeling. Just so I am still connected with the, the very real realities of other people as well. Right. And I, I mean, in my opinion as well, it's so important to to be connected to that because I mean this world is full circle it's not it's not all rainbows and butterflies right um, yep. but I think you said something even more important you know you don't want to be reactive you want to be proactive and that goes back to what you were talking about earlier with how you start your day you start in a proactive mindset uh, and it's so important to to get your body going to get your mind going and to not just start reacting to, to things that are out of your control or, you know, work, other work. I, I just think that's awesome. Absolutely. Absolutely. For anyone who's listening, who currently does not have a morning routine, now is a great time to just write down one thing or two things that you will do tomorrow morning when you wake up. You don't have to dedicate more than 10 minutes to these tasks. It could be something as simple as, uh, I am going to write this quote that I think is really positive and stick it on the bathroom mirror 
so that when I'm brushing my teeth in the morning or doing my hair, I'm going to meditate on that quote and how it applies into my life for 60 seconds. That is a super easy morning routine. It could be something like, I'm going to close my eyes and just listen to a song and do nothing else. I'm not going to multitask. I've just got my favorite track here and I'm going to close my eyes, sit on the floor, and I'm just going to listen for that. I mean, how long is a, a track? Three and a half minutes? So yeah. there you go. Two activities and your total time taken is five minutes in the morning. But I promise you, you do that for yourself and you will feel results. You will, I, I'll say you'll feel it right away. But even if you don't feel it on day one, you try doing it for five days in a row and you will certainly feel how you're more calm, how you feel more in control from those little things. And of course, you can build into much larger tasks of having a workout or run in the morning, maybe a certain routine around breakfast and even how their breakfast is made, uh, maybe around the kind of inputs that you have into your life. Uh, I'm very fortunate that I can make time to write and to read. And I find that that is far better than, say, scrolling through news feeds because that kind of fast, you know, one message, another message, another message, another message, one notification, another notification causes your brain to start thinking about the day in the same format of this task, that task, this task, that task, uh, here, there, and everywhere. On the other hand, you just open a book and you deep dive into a topic, even for 15, 20 minutes. It actually gets your brain to focus on certain on anything, but just teaches your brain to focus and to really be present. And the rest of the day, I feel like can be present and focus as a result. So, but it all starts with something simple. So just pick one or two things that you can do tomorrow and take control of your mornings. Yeah. And it, it, I think you're talking about flow, right? Like when you get to that, that, uh, focus state, you get into the sense of flow where ideas start coming to you. Things start to make sense even quicker and faster. And being a being an athlete myself, um, I played uh, college baseball, semi-pro, and I just played sports growing up. And there were times when I was just in this like extreme focus and whether I was playing basketball and just making every basket I put up or, you know, hitting a baseball and just knowing that whatever the pitcher was throwing at me, I could hit it. And this is me being in that in that zone really dialed in. Um, it, it was an unbelievable feeling and, and mentality, but I'll tell you what, um, I didn't meditate when I was younger. Meditation is something that I've just kind of brought into my life. I've doing it. I've been doing it for the past year and I get right into that flow state about five minutes after meditation. It is, it is wild to me you know, being, being new at this. So I just want to kind of get your thoughts on that. Yeah. So before we proceed on that question, how would you define flow? Just for those who are unfamiliar, I know you threw out a few things like being in the zone, being focused, but how would you define flow for those who might not understand flow state? I'll, I'll describe it in a couple ways. The first way I'll, I'll describe it is when you're writing. Sometimes when I'm writing, I, I, it's tough for me to get ideas going. And then other times I can just put the pen down, start writing, and I there's just no way I can stop. Ideas are coming to me. Everything's making sense. It's all very clear. Um, another way I'll, I'll talk about it is uh, there are some times where I'm a little anxious and I have different ideas coming into my head and they're just 
they're all coming into mind. I'm not sure exactly what to do. There's not a lot of clarity. But then other times when I reach that flow, everything is congruent. I know what to do, exactly when to do it. I know exactly what to say. And everything is just uh, in smooth motion. Does that kind of make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So I would say that's, that's the flow state for me. Mm-hmm. So hit me with your question again. <laughs> yeah, no, what's, um, what are, what are your thoughts on, on meditating and getting into flow state? I mean, that's, that's a lot of the reason why I do it. I do it to, to just get into the zone for my day. Yes. So I firmly believe that any kind of meditation exercise or mindfulness exercise will facilitate getting into that flow state. Absolutely undeniable. And I think there's a lot of scientific and just research that is done on why that happens and how that happens. And there are results that say even four to five days of doing it and you'll feel that difference right away. That said, I don't think that meditation alone is the only way to get into the flow state. And so I think it's also about finding what is comfortable for people um, because I'd say for me too, I guess like meditation was not necessarily something I grew up with. And here in India, it sort of means something slightly different from how meditation is experienced in the Western world. And so I think you sh everyone should give it a try. If you aren't currently trying it, then give it a try for four or five days, but don't be disheartened if it doesn't feel right because there's lots of other amazing ways that want you into the flow state. What is undeniable is that flow state is amazing. And yeah. trying to get into that zone, whether you're an athlete, whether you're a business consultant, whether you are a teacher, whether you're a homemaker, it doesn't matter what it is that you're doing in life. Having that ability, that effortless state of creativity, of uh, being able to create and to make and to be is addicting to be honest and it's just uh, it's amazing when you're in that space and so i think you should absolutely experiment and try to figure out how can you get there and for me just also just uh, i mean like meditation has been part of my life at moments but it's not something i have to do every day to get into that flow state i actually find that social media helps me too so when i create on social media you will see that there is generally an energy that I am producing on social. But in order to produce that energy, I need to possess that energy first. You cannot give what you don't have. And so I will actively tell my brain and my body, let's get energy <laughs> so that I can <laughs> give energy to the audience. And so even just having that, that dialogue with myself gets me into the flow state. I find even, again, on the dialogue thing, reducing the barriers, reducing the obstacles, reducing the walls that we are so comfortable living inside of and having that conversation going like, Dan, that isn't true about your life. Like, get rid of that thought. Or Dan, this, isn't, this is not significant. You've made it up to be significant. Let go of it. I think even that dialogue gets me into that flow state. I think it's really important that we learn to talk to ourselves to encourage ourselves, to validate ourselves, to appreciate ourselves. We are too often looking at others to do that. And that just makes us, um, I guess, a, <laughs> a constant 
servant or I guess a more positive way to put it is needy of other people's validation and acknowledgement and appreciation when we can do that for ourselves. And that just releases us to be us. So I'd say even dialogue, healthy dialogue with ourselves can get us into flow state. There's certainly some music. I don't know if you're a music guy, but man, if I, there are just certain kind of, especially if there's a, a combination of bass and drums. Oof. If the beat is right, it doesn't matter how I'm feeling. It doesn't matter what has happened. I just go to another level. And especially when there's a good sound system, whenever I get a new car, I always, always change up the sound system. Every car from the first car I ever got, the first big investment was in a better sound system. Honestly, it feels like I'm in a concert in my own car. And the reason is because sometimes after a meeting, things may not go well. I can't control the outcome of every meeting, but I get in my car, I put on the music, and I'm just, I'm taken to another level. And I'm back in flow state again. And that actually equips me to deal with the challenges and obstacles even better. So I'd say there's a few ways that one can get at it, get at it, whether it's dialogue, whether it's music, whether it's spirituality and connecting with the larger sense of who we are. Um, so there's a few ways, but what you and I will not disagree on is the importance of being in flow state and just the amazingness, amazingness. Is that a word? It's a word <laughs> now. We're making it one. It's a word for this conversation. <laughs> of, uh, of just being in that, in that state of flow. It's just amazing. So yeah. I kind of want to stay on on this music track, you know. No, nope, again, no pun intended. But um, you know, I I feel like everyone has their song, and it's their song that they throw on when you're at the gym. It's like your last set. You're sweating. Your your all your your body is a little stressed out because you've been doing a hard workout, and then you throw that song on, and it's like. You've never felt better. You could do anything. You can accomplish anything. Do you have that song? For every season, yes. But the seasons change a lot because I get bored easily. As a creative spirit, I never repeat. So even when you see me on stage, I'm always trying to reinvent and recreate and hopefully evolve, take things to a newer level every time. So... As a result, I think for every season I have a song, but the seasons keep changing. There are a few songs that have kind of been through a few seasons. So one is a song called Brighter Day by Kirk Franklin. And there's another song that he does called I Smile. And both of those are just happy, upbeat, positive tracks, both in the lyrics as well as how the song is written. Uh, there is something incredibly dynamic about a choir singing. It's this feeling of like a team all doing their individual pieces that together is amazing to listen to. And then when I'm listening to that, I just feel like, ah, oh, I got to do my part. <laughs> I got to smile. I got to dance. I got to snap my fingers. I got to be part of this. So I'd say that. I think a recent season I was really into, uh, is it called Good as Hell by, by Lizzo? Uh, um, I that sounds super familiar. Sounds yeah. So there's there's a few songs that uh, keep coming and going, and Beyonce features every so often as well, obviously. So yeah, she crushes um, it on every, on everything. <laughs> so I'd say songs that are positive, uplifting, empowering. They all have a moment in my life to, to 
contribute to that whole flow state. You know, it's, How about it's, you? Do you have a song? So yeah, same thing. Um, they always change with the seasons, and you know there are many seasons. <laughs> uh, right now, I caught myself really getting into. Well, I've got my phone right here. It's called "Crazy" by Tiesto. That one, okay. that one is really, really, really fires me up. And then. Um, Champion by Tyrone Briggs. Aha, nice. Yeah, both of those is kind of same thing. Uh, really uplifting. They're all it's all positive. Um, and I, I'm glad you brought that point up about the the positive and and the beats and like what what is said in the music matters. There was there was a point in time where I listened to a lot of a lot of rap music. And this is when I was like really, really young. Um, parents probably shouldn't have let me listen to it, but um, <laughs> they did. And I thought I was really cool when I was into it. And I noticed my mindset uh, being upset and frustrated and mad for no reason. So <laughs> um, I, I, I literally told myself, and I don't, I honestly don't think I've ever told anyone this. So uh, I, I literally cut out all of the music that is negative. Now, not necessarily like things that have cuss words or anything, but I just took out the music that, that has a negativity uh, or a negative connotation or a negative um, kind of vibe to it. And I played only uplifting things. You know, whether it was rap, country, um, hip hop, EDM, it had to be uplifting and it made my playlist. And dude, let me tell you, like, I was happy. I was positive. I mean, even my friends started saying, like, dude, you are just like the happiest person. I'm like, it's my playlist, man. <laughs> you know? yeah. So yeah, I'm glad you. I'm glad you brought that point up. Absolutely, our, our subconscious is more powerful than we think. And we have to be careful about what influences our subconscious because even a soundtrack, even if you go and you have a Spotify playlist or YouTube playlist in the background, it is influencing you. Whether you realize it or not, how you study, how you research, how you work is influenced by the music. I have caught myself walking to the beat of the music now, I'm also a musician, and so for me, I think it's like it's just more ingrained that I, <laughs> because I'm always playing in bands, I can't choose my own beats. I have to play along with the, with the beat that is set by the drummer and the bassist and the rest of the band. And so even how I walk or dance is connected to the beat, but I'll, I'll realize that I get to places faster or slower based on the soundtrack <laughs> because even something like my, and I'm not intentional about it, it's just I am walking to my soundtrack. So it's just something you have to consider is the movies that we're watching, the people whose newsfeed we, well, the newsfeed, the people that are on our newsfeed, the, uh, the music, the, the food we eat, like everything is influencing our subconscious. Yeah. It's a, it, it, it's a really good point because it truly matters. Um, how you think really goes back, like my point, how you think will, will in turn uh, develop what you do. Um, now, here's my question, Dan. 
were you Dan the musician first or Dan the speaker first? <laughs> I was certainly Dan the musician first, and I was certainly not a speaker. I was a very introverted, shy, socially awkward, nerdy, geeky child growing up. Not the cool person, not the person in the front, not the person to stand up, not the person to volunteer, not the person to want attention or get any attention. Not that speakers do that, and I think that is my superpower, and I'm happy to share how, as an introvert, I feel I'm a better speaker than some extroverts are, but I loved hiding behind my piano. I'm going to put it that way. So even Dan the Musician is not, you know, Dan busting out a solo on the saxophone and everyone noticing, I hid behind my piano, I hid behind my guitar. I hid behind any instrument. It was my outlet, and I felt safer communicating through music than I did communicating through words. I felt safer with an instrument or with an animal than I did with humans. And so I'm really grateful for music because it taught me the importance of my voice and the uniqueness of my voice. And then over time, that transferred from music into my actual voice, which you are hearing on this podcast. But this voice came from music. It's the gift of music that helped me find me. That's pretty incredible. Um, now, I've seen your, your TED Talk on being a resident alien. And <laughs> I believe after that, didn't you do a, um, a, a song with a choir behind you? I did, yes. At the very end of that Resident Aliens, a quick synopsis of that TED Talk was that we're often other. We're often outsiders. We don't always belong. And yet one can create a sense of identity and belonging, even in circumstances that may not be that way. For me, it was physical as an Indian growing up in different parts of the world. But for some people, it might be psychological. It, might, it could be in many different ways. You could be, just be the tallest person uh, in your community, and that can make you stand out. Um, so how does one create a sense of belonging? But then I brought in the choir because the choir that I was part of back then was Europe's most multicultural choir. And I wanted to show how every single culture, language, and look was so beautiful individually, but even more glorious collectively. And what you can do when you create a sense of belonging while also appreciating your own uniqueness. And dude, I just got like the tingles I'm, like fired up right now. Uh, <laughs> um, the other thing I, I'd like to ask Dan is you, you got on stage and spoke at a TEDx conference. Now go back to when you were first getting started. How was that for you? Were you, were you great right off the bat? Or was it something you really had to work on? And, and why did you even take on being a public speaker? Okay, those are lots of questions. Let yeah. me try to go through them. And I will start by saying I was terrible at the start. But my start is everybody's start. So first I want to set where start was. And for me, start was a kid in school being asked to present in front of his classmates. Everybody has been that same scenario. And I don't want people to feel like 
the start, the first step is somewhere much farther away because how you discipline yourself back then at the very beginning is what you carry later on in life as well. Now it's terrible because I had a, I guess a different accent. I had a very complicated British, Algerian, Indian, Zimbabwean accent. I had lived in all those countries quite recently at that point when I was 12 or 13. And so it had influenced the way I was speaking. And I remember I was reading something from a biology textbook in front of the classroom and the word organism came up. But because of the way I was pronouncing things, things back then, I pronounced it organism, which sounds very close to orgasm, which as a teenager is just the, that's it. That, that was the death sentence right there. And because I mispronounced this word, I was just the, the joke of the class for weeks on end. And it wasn't just that word. I mean, like so many words I mispronounced and I was just bad at it and I started through it. And so I just decided I was going to work harder at it. I didn't want to be laughed at. I didn't want to be mocked. I didn't want people pointing their fingers at me. And so every day I would read in my house the next day's chapter for every class just in case I was called up to speak and to read out aloud. But the beautiful part that I didn't realize back then, the byproduct of that was I was always more prepared than everyone else because I had read the next day's chapter. And so I walked into class just being more informed every time. And that as a byproduct just made me a significantly better student. Also, I started rehearsing my answers. So when a teacher would ask a question, everybody shoots their hand up, right? Because points are given to whoever answers the question the fastest. But my issue was not about knowing the answer. My issue is how to articulate the answer. No one gives a point for who can communicate it the best. But in real life, it often is about the power of how well you can communicate. But that's not what classrooms are checking. So I would just pause and I would only put my hand up once I had actually rehearsed in my head the answer. But the beautiful part is, as a result of that, teachers started calling on me because they wanted a good answer, not someone who's trying to make up an answer as they go through it. And also students started respecting me. I might not always have the right answer, but it was just more thought out. And so they used wow. to come seeking me for my, for my thought process. But then I realized the importance of that. So it was these small things I was doing out of fear, out of failure, these shifts in my, in my behavior, like rehearsing, whether the day before, out aloud, or in my head, but then not realizing the power of practicing. When you practice and when you rehearse, you're just more prepared, full stop. You just are more prepared. You're just more ready for the scenarios. And even today, when I'm on stage, there's a lot that I do on purpose that seems spontaneous and off the cuff, but I promise you they are thought out and they rehearsed days, weeks, months in advance. And it's just the delivery that I try to make it seem natural and in the moment. And so, yes, there are moments that catch me off guard because however much you prepare, a live audience in a live situation throws some interesting curveballs at you. But those scenarios, and more importantly, how I respond to those scenarios, I have thought out and I have prepared for. So that's where my journey began, was failing and being possibly the worst at the very beginning of the starting steps. But because I put in more work, I just naturally over time 
became better at articulating about and communicating and pronounce. Uh, <laughs> I just messed up the word pronunciation <laughs> in pronouncing my words. So I feel like those early days were necessary. I will also say that in Choose's career, being a public speaker uh, from high school, I went to Yale University, studied economics, and then I worked for the UN and World Vision, both humanitarian agencies. And then from there, I did an MBA at Trinity College, which is in Ireland. And then because of the recession at that point, I was unemployed, but I started building my own businesses. Along the way, I was also a radio presenter at a national radio station broadcaster. I was a lecturer on entrepreneurship in the university. I was an advisor to the national government. I did a short stint at KPMG. So there was a variety of different things that I was trying and experimenting and giving my best at. And it was through entrepreneurship and having to pitch in order to fundraise for my companies that I got on stage in the format that I am in today. And so I would say it was this very windy road of doing a lot of different things and having public speaking be a component of it, but not a significant part of it. But then as the founder of multiple startups, I had to personally stand up and talk about my business to investors, to stakeholders, to partners, to clients, to my team. And that's what really got me talking about tech. And it was at these tech conferences that I saw audiences being exhausted because of just way too much information. And I also saw people that were working on ideas and projects that were amazing, but were just not getting traction or interest because of how they were communicating it. And it was in that sort of space that I thought, you know what, I would really like to tee these guys up so that they can knock this out of the park. I really want to get the audience's attention because this is an idea that is worth listening to. Sure, they're not... President Obama, who's a really good speaker or any, you know, famous actor in a movie that gives that amazing speech. Um, they are just good people that are trying to make a difference in the world. So what can I do to help them get people's attention? And that's where the role of MCing came up because that's what MCs do, right? They connect audiences to speakers and they set the mood and the atmosphere for learning, for growing, for developing. And that's how I got into it is, again, seeing, I guess, a little bit of entrepreneur in me, seeing a problem in the tech space where I was pitching my startups and going, how can I fix this? And that's where the slow transition into public speaking. So it's been many, many years. I'd say from the age of 12 onwards is where I started realizing the importance of communication and building it myself. And then many, many steps, insignificant steps of organizing a game at a youth group or reading a Bible verse in a church or giving a small talk at a family event into larger opportunities of giving an important presentation for my class or speaking on behalf of my startup to then slightly larger milestones of opening up a evening session or giving a TEDx talk to then even bigger and bigger opportunities and I still don't think I've hit the biggest ones yet. So watch the space. <laughs> okay. So on that note, I, I freaking love that. Um, I'm reading a book right now called Mindset. And it's all about the growth. It's all about growth mindset. It's by Carol Dweck. And uh -huh. there are people who are in the fixed mindset. And there's people that are in the growth mindset. And the growth mindset is all based on literally if you 
work really hard, if you practice and, you know, give max, maximum effort, you can do anything. You can learn anything as opposed to the fixed mindset where um, your abilities and capabilities are are fixed. You know, you can only you're set to do what you're set to do and you can only you're only capable of so much. And the fact that you that you were like, you know what, I haven't hit my my best speech yet. I haven't done my biggest speech yet. Dude, I love that. That's why I'm like fired up to talk to you and why I, I constantly keep up with you every day on Instagram. Everything that you've accomplished is really, really great. And like I said before, it's super inspiring. But I truly believe you when you say I haven't I haven't hit my top goal yet. I'm still going for it. So man, Dan, thanks for that. <laughs> I appreciate that. And that is a beautiful distinction between a growth mindset and a fixed mindset. And personally, I feel it is a choice. I don't think one is locked into one or the other. You have to make an intentional decision. Do I see the world as a place where I can grow, where I can develop, where I can do more, where I can give more? Or do I see the world through a narrow lens of this is just who I am? This is all I can do. This is all I'm meant for. And I think that's a choice that we make. And it is just a mindset thing. It actually has nothing to do with your circumstances, your resources, your network. Those are just the excuses we hide behind. It is literally a switch in your brain. And that choice is with everyone who's listening right now. You choose to have a growth mindset or a fixed mindset. Right. And, and the choice is easy. It really is easy, but it's also not because of the influences that we've already talked about, right? Like the things that you're listening to, uh, perhaps the people who influence you. Um, you know, a lot of a, a lot of people's parents have such a big influence on them, and you know, some of those parents could be in the fixed mindset. So. Mm -hmm. um, I, that's why I feel it's super important to to do this podcast and keep on talking to extraordinary people who are in that growth mindset. It, and it's for those people to, to hear this and, and to let them know, hey, there is a choice. You aren't only capable of, of what people saying you're capable of. You're truly capable of anything. You're, you, you can learn anything. It's going to take work, but you can do it. Absolutely. Yeah. So just clarification, the choice is easy. The application is not. Yes. And, and that's with anything you can choose right now to change careers, but the application, the implementation, the execution on that choice, that decision is significantly harder. You can choose to uh, become fitter. It's just a choice. You make a choice one day. It's a personal commitment and going, I will be fitter, but <laughs> the work involved and you, Follow me on Instagram so you know every day I go to the gym and I fully realize I don't look great in the gym. And part of that for whoa, me also. Whoa, saying that, Dan? Come on. <laughs> <All right. No. laughs> I'm saying that. But part of that was also my decision. I was like, you know, I could do a before and after photo. That's fine. It looks better. But I think what's going to help people more is just realizing that the everyday grind is not sexy. It's not appealing, but it's necessary. And I also made a decision that I will not 
just talk about going to the gym once I've taken a shower and done my hair. I'm going to talk about being in the gym when I'm in the gym so that people can see that the implementation execution is ugly. Um, it, you can choose to be your own boss, fine. But then you have to make a lot of sacrifices. You have to be willing to give up a lot of things and you have to be willing to learn a whole lot of things. So yes, choice is easy. Application is not. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I feel like in, it just in, in general, growing up being a, a young professional or a young entrepreneur, mm-hmm. um, a lot of entrepreneurs or people who are trying to do their own thing are influenced by their social atmosphere of people who, who might have uh, careers or nine to five jobs and they're looked down upon. Did that ever happen to you as you were growing as an entrepreneur? Yeah, so I don't come from a family of entrepreneurs. And I actually did not know this word, entrepreneur, until I got this thing called an entrepreneur visa. So I have always been entrepreneurial, but it was not necessarily something that was identified as, ah, Dan, you'd be a great entrepreneur. So... Small examples, I loved playing Lego. I loved doing puzzles. Like problem solving has always been, problem solving and creating has always been part of even my like early childhood. And then when I got to being older, still in high school and in middle school, I remember when I wasn't allowed to do something, I would then find creative ways to then do it in in a way that would be allowed. Um, And whenever there was a lack, I would find a way to fulfill the void. Um, so again, just being practical rather than theoretical here, I was in a school in Zimbabwe that had an incredible music program, incredible music program, the best I've ever seen in any school in any part of the world. And when I moved to Morocco in my 11th grade, they had no music program, but instead of just going, ah, shucks, I guess that was a nice thing. I personally started teaching people instruments, both students and teachers. So that I could instill a passion for music that then led into a concert, which then led into the school going, wow, this is cool. We should invest in a music teacher and a choir director in equipment. And it just grew out of that. So I have always, even in school, whenever there's a problem, I have fixed it, but I never knew this word entrepreneur. And that's why I, then my first jobs were for big companies like the UN and world vision. Well, companies is the wrong word, but big organizations, and uh, I only became an entrepreneur when the government, when I pitched an idea, again, I was just doing my civic duty. You know, there was a recession and there were people working for themselves in isolation. And I saw this idea in America called co-working spaces. And I had never seen a co-working space, never worked in a co-working space, but I saw the value of a co-working space. And so I just pitched the idea to the government as a civic duty saying, wouldn't it be nice if we had some space like this for them? It wasn't even for us. I did not consider myself part of that tribe. I'm like, for those people who are you know, running their own businesses, and can I help with that? And that's when they gave me a visa going, this is an entrepreneur visa. We'd love for you to do that. So please remain in our country and build this out for us. And wow. that's when I was like, ooh, I guess I'm an entrepreneur. But I was 26. No, I was 24 at that point. Um, so I think I've always been entrepreneurial, but I only knew that word 
And I find it unfortunate that the worlds of nine to five and the worlds of entrepreneur, um, <laughs> they both have negative things to say about each other. <laughs> and there isn't more appreciation. First of all, I don't know many people who have a nine to five that actually work nine to five. I think the hustle is real for both. Um, and I, I know people who are very, very hardworking in what is on contract in nine to five, but in reality is so much more. And especially when we have emails and social media that carry into our personal lives, people bring back work into their weekends, people stay in offices longer. I think the hustle is real in both. I think the challenges are real in both. People think that nine to five is easy, but it's not. There's so much internal, you know, politics and uh, bureaucracy and just challenges in working with a big company. It's not all smooth sailing. Sa likewise for entrepreneurs. I think there's such a lack of resources and supports and so much you got to figure out on your own that it's not all that, oh, I'm my own boss. Yippee, look, I can do whatever I want. No, most often you can't do anything you want because you don't have the funds for it. You don't have the resources for it. You don't have the network for it. You just, you know, doing what seems insignificant day to day. Um, I think for both, there is opportunity for making global change. I have seen companies lead the charge in research. I've seen organizations lead the charge in impact, but I've also seen individuals do exactly the same as well. I've seen young companies also do the impossible. So I feel like there needs to be more appreciation for both because a world full of entrepreneurs could not exist. A world full of large organizations would also not be good for the planet. And I think the symbiosis, the, the working together is really where the magic happens. When a large company identifies a great idea and then onboards that through a joint venture or through an acquisition, or when a small company uh, needs the resources of a large company and can say, hey, we've got this amazing opportunity. We're collecting all this data, but we just can't build a database. Like we don't have the money for it. We don't have the service for it. We don't have the tech for it. But you guys, this is what you do. So why don't you work with us? You take care of the database side of stuff and we'll actually sit out in the field collecting the data. Bam, that connection, far more powerful than either of them trying to do it independently. Right, right, absolutely. Um, as you were growing as an entrepreneur, Dan, did, did you ever have a moment where you were frustrated or, um, I don't want to say lost, but it was just a, a, a tough time for you and you know you you weren't exactly sure what you were doing yeah yeah quite a few times over in my life for sure i think growing up in the relatively unique background as the son of a diplomat you know having to restart every 2 to 3 years was frustrating and you really do lose yourself in the process like i literally was introducing my name to a group of strangers every two to three years. This is pre-social media. It's not like I could bring my brand with me. It's not like they could just Google me and figure out who I was before. I literally started with, hi, my name is Dan. Um, every two to three years, I had to reestablish myself. Yeah, like I would be the captain of a badminton team or the tennis team or the basketball team in one country and I have to start from tryouts in the next country again right from the bottom and then find my place with the brand new team. So I think even from back then feeling a bit lost, feeling frustrated with a situation was a very real part of my life. And then I think 
at different junctures in my life. For example, when I returned to India to work for World Vision on a little bit of a soul searching mission. So I was 23 at that point and I was in India just trying to figure out like, who am I? Where do I belong? Could it be India? It is after all what my passport is. Like I have an Indian passport. My skin color identifies me as Indian. And I went there and I realized I just wasn't like others. And more importantly, the Indians didn't really consider me entirely their own. They would have to speak in English when they were around me, but their real humor, their real joy was when they spoke in their local mother tongue, which I just did not know. So I just couldn't really laugh with them like they could. They also all had history with each other. And there was a certain way of thinking, a certain way of processing information, a certain outlook on life that I just did not share. And so I just felt very outside of where the only place that I thought I would be inside. And so again, I was kind of frustrated and a little bit lost. And then when I graduated from, I mean, I had a Yale degree and a Trinity degree. I was told repeatedly through college that the combination of economics and MBA, plus the fact I had an Ivy League and a top university in my degree, I could do anything, anything. And then I walked into a world of recession. And for weeks on weeks, months on months, what ended up being two years of unemployment, and it really does take a hit on how you see yourself, on how you see the world, how you see the future. So I think over and over again in my life, from childhood through college and even beyond, I have had these moments where I've been like, what is life? Who am I? Why am I here? Is there a future? These are big questions. But I think because I've had <laughs> so many of these junctures in my life, I don't I no more fear those questions. I think I just have more tools as to how to reinvent, how to create, recreate. And I've used those words even earlier in this podcast because I believe that is really the opportunity. I think the opportunity in life is not avoiding those junctures or avoiding those moments of frustration. I think it's actually embracing them with the right tools because when you do it, that is when you see your next state of evolution. You're next going to the next level. It can only happen at those junctures. Nobody goes to the next level when they're comfortable. Nobody goes to the next level when they're in the bubble. Nobody grows by just doing the same thing they did yesterday. The next level, that elevation, that evolution only happens in moments of frustration, of discomfort, of chaos. And so for me, while I share all of those moments with a sense of, well, hurt and um, I guess a, a heaviness in my heart because those were not easy moments in my life. I also don't regret and I also really appreciate those moments because they equipped me with the tools I needed to deal with it when it comes now, when it comes in two to three years. And I actually am grateful <laughs> for those moments of frustration and chaos. But yes, those moments happened. Those moments were necessary but I think I'm a better person every time because of them. Those moments either make you or break you. And I choose not to break. And so they keep making me every time into the new version of myself. So it's like you were saying in the very beginning of our conversation, they're, they're gifts, right? I mean, those moments are truly gifts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they yeah. absolutely are. It again, it's a perspective thing. It's a mindset thing, right? Mm -hmm. You can either look at it as like, oh, the world is so unfair. Or you can go, oh, the world is throwing me a curveball. Now, what am I going to do? Or you can go, oh, life is so 
difficult. Or you can go, ah, oh, life has just thrown open a lot of doors. Sure, it shut down some doors, but there's a lot more that are open. It's just how you look at it. It's just mindset. Oh, one, 100%. Absolutely. Um, uh, a personal story of mine is uh, when my, one of my first jobs out of, out of college, um, I was working with a, a major network and uh, things were going pretty well, but I still had this, this thing inside to, to do something else. I was, I was in, I was more on the sales and numbers side, but I really wanted to uh, pursue doing something in front of people, being on screen and, and uh, being in front of audiences. So um, I, I had a talk with my boss and I was like, you know, this is really what I want to do. And I think I have to take this opportunity to, to do it. So I ended up uh, separating. And for a, a minute there, uh, I was I was really pursuing being on screen, being in television. And I I was successful. I was able to make it on to a TV show, made it into a couple movies. And uh, during that time, I decided to travel. And when I was traveling, Dan, I was going to see these beautiful, beautiful places. Um, I went to South Korea. I went to Thailand, um, Indonesia. And I was, like I said, I was in these places and it was just absolutely gorgeous. But there was something inside me that, that caused a lot of anxiety. I was, I was very anxious. I was... Um, I just wasn't having as good of a time in these beautiful places as I knew I should. And when I got back from the trip, I really asked myself, why? What, what, is, what is it inside me that is causing this frustration or pain, you know? And that was it right there. I just realized, you know, instead of going traveling inside, I traveled outside. I tried mm -hmm. to put myself in in a beautiful like atmosphere or, around me instead of creating a beautiful atmosphere on the inside, and that's where all of that work started to begin for um, you know meditation, finding out what I really wanted, and that's really how this podcast began. Because when I was doing the when I was uh, doing television and and really working on some acting. I never really had a true connection with the work that I was doing and I couldn't figure out why. But when I did that work, the, the inside work on myself, um, I was like, you know what? What I really love doing is connecting with people. I, I am just naturally very, very weirdly curious about people and I like to find out how they become who they are. And I really love mindset. So I started working from there and that's how the podcast was, was developed. And now I feel like I am working on all cylinders inside and out. So that is awesome. Thank you for sharing that. And I think in that lesson, in that story, the lesson I draw out of it is journey versus destination, right? You mm -hmm. thought you were going to a few destinations, Indonesia, Thailand, South Korea, but really the journey of self-discovery was the real gift there. 
uh, sure, I'm, sh I'm sure you got some nice photos and some nice videos, but it is that self-discovery that is really the most beautiful journey of all. I think we're so so over-fixated trying to get somewhere without realizing that it's the getting there that is more powerful, more validating, more impactful on your own life and others than arriving. So yeah, journey. And I'm, I'm glad that you've been on this journey and that this podcast is part of the journey as well. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's one of the best things that, that I've ever done. And, and personally, I mean, it's put me in touch with people like yourself, which I am so grateful for. So uh, to, to anyone listening to this, if you've ever wanted to just start something that you, that you just know you'll love and that, you know, it, whether it will make you money or whether it won't, but it will fire you up inside. I mm -hmm. say do it 100% because you never know where anything can take you. And I, I think that goes to, to your motto, Dan, start now, start simple. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Four words that have transformed my life. And I think what you shared there about whatever just fires you up, you should do it. And you never know where it's going to take you. It's so, so true. If I can share a quick story for anyone who's come to a, a talk, you would have heard this. Or if you follow me online, you would have heard this. But I think it's just so, it's such a start, startling story of how just saying yes to something that seems insignificant to, can lead to something ah, mind-blowing and transformative. But during that period of unemployment over two years, I was so frustrated with people saying no to me and being rejected by all these job applications that I decided I was going to say yes to whatever the next opportunity was. And so I was sitting one day in, in my house and a friend of mine says, Dan, can you come and speak to my students? And being the slightly egotistical <laughs> Ivy League graduate that I was, I was like, of course I can come speak in your college. You know, I'm, 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 a, I'm a qualified, degreed human being. And she says, ah, actually, I'm a teacher. And it's a bunch of 12-year-old girls that have been working on an idea for less than 24 hours. Uh, they don't know too much about business. We just need someone to pretend to be an investor, really. It's not a speaking opportunity. We just need you to be pretend to be an investor. So my ego took a hit. But I, I, that's my, that was my first yes. And I said yes, not sure where that would lead me. And I couldn't believe where that would lead me. But basically, I, I researched it because I <laughs> was not an investor. I was the opposite of an investor. I was very poor as an unemployed person. So I watched you know, Shark Tank and Dragon's Den and shows like that. And I came and prepared. I was the best fake investor those girls could have ever experienced. And that evening I got a very angry phone call from a dad who's like, Dan, I don't know who you are. I've never heard of you. But because of whatever you said, my daughter now wants to be an entrepreneur. So uh, could you come in and motivate my staff in my printing agency? And so I said, yes, I didn't think about it. I just said, yes. And then I sat back and I was like, wait a second. I'm the one that's unemployed. They have jobs. Why is the unemployed person motivating the employed people? That doesn't make any sense. But I still went and researched. I watched TED Talks and I saw how to be a motivational speaker, went and prepared. And then a few weeks later, I gave a motivational talk, as motivational as I could be. And I got a message from the PR 
team saying, Dan, you're a really good speaker. <laughs> Little did not know it was as a fake investor and then as a fake motivational speaker. But I took it. I was like, oh, thank you so much. And they said, could you write your top tips on public speaking? I said, sure. I researched it. I studied it. I wrote some tips. It was my first written piece. But because of that written piece, the another friend of the PR agency saw that and said, oh, Dan, you're a good writer. Could you write a few, like a short piece on the future of Ireland? Because again, remember, Ireland was in the middle of a recession. I was still unemployed during this time. And I decided, sure, I can do that. I can kind of write a forward-thinking piece about the future of technology, innovation in Ireland. And I researched it. I was not an entrepreneur. I was not a tech person. I just studied what was happening. I researched it. I put my best foot forward and I wrote a piece. And what happened next, I was not prepared for. Because then a real investor from the real dragon stand called me up and said, Dan, I have not heard about you before this, but I saw your piece in the newspaper. I have been commissioned by the Minister of Jobs, Enterprise and Innovation to put together a task force, seven people, to advise the national government on the future of Ireland. Would you be interested? Whoa. And I said, yes, let's go for it. And so even though I was not the most qualified person, it was the same hard work ethic, that optimistic spirit of I can do it, I will do it, and if I don't know how, I'll figure out how that I used even at the government level. And that became eventually the national policy on entrepreneurship that affected millions of people and billions in GDP. But it all started by saying yes to a bunch of 12-year-old girls who had worked <laughs> on a business idea for less than 12 hours, well, 24 hours at that point. So you never know where starting now and starting simple will take you. But if it is genuine, it, if, it, if it's filled with passion and enthusiasm, you never know where it'll take you. And even some of the greatest stuff you alluded to, shaking Obama's hand and interviewing him, that started off by saying yes to a seemingly spam message on Facebook. I was going through my messenger and it was a particularly boring day in summer and I decided to go through the spam messages and there was a message from someone who said, Dan, I saw you speak in an event, really love your energy. Richard Branson's coming to my events. Could you introduce him on stage? And I was like, yeah, right. Such fake news. Like that's not a real <laughs> thing. I don't know who that is. I don't know who they are. Why are they on my spam on Facebook? It's not even like a proper email. I had a full-time job being the founder of my own business. At that point, I actually had two businesses. I was the CEO of two businesses at the exact same time. It was a lot of work, but I said yes to it. I was like, because then I found, I mean, I messaged him. I didn't just say, well, yes. I messaged him back. It's like, who are you? Realized that he was a founder himself. He had his own tech businesses. We connected as peers. And he's like, Dan, I'm serious about this. Founder to founder. We're creating a founder event, uh, an event just for entrepreneurs and Richard Branson's agreed to come to our event, and would you be willing to introduce him? And I was like, heck yeah, let's go for it. But that event continued to grow, and four years later, four years of commitment to that event, we had President Obama uh, a few months ago at that event, along with other people like Reid Hoffman, you know, co-founder of LinkedIn and PayPal, a legend of Silicon Valley. We had Hollywood people like Jessica Alba, one of my favorite guys, if you love music, we talked about music earlier, you know, the app Shazam that yeah. helps identify any track. So the founder of Shazam came over, we connected, he was so much fun. We ended up doing a push-up competition on stage in front of 5,000 people. Um, so we just, 
have a whole lot of fun, but it would not have happened without a simple step of checking spam messages and uh, biting <laughs> where yeah. it didn't seem like there was a meal, but you never know what you walk into. So yeah, start now, start simple. Man, that's, that's amazing and say yes. That's, Absolutely, yeah. because that first yes is to yourself in your brain. <laughs> before mm -hmm. the world throws opportunities at you, you've got to, because I could have had tons of objections. I could have been like, come on, I am too qualified for a bunch of 12-year-old girls. I could have been like, heck no, this is beneath me. I could have just been like, I am unemployed and I have to spend this time applying for a job. I'm sorry, I cannot see the value of this opportunity and so I'm going to say no to it. There were so many possible objections, but I had to start by saying yes in my own brain and go, Dan, this you should do. Let's go. And then comes the outward yes to whoever's invited me. And so that first yes is so important. And the first yes is, in, is a mindset thing. It's in your brain to yourself going, there's value in this. Go for it. And what I think is also very, very cool is I have a feeling that when you say yes, also the, the process of getting prepared just starts to to open up. I mean, am I right? I, I can imagine that what you prepared for to even talk to those 12 year old girls was probably immense. It was what you usually do. Absolutely. I mean, yes, is there's the kind of narcissistic yes. And then there's like the humble, grateful yes. And there's a yes that goes, of course, yes, I'll do it. And then there's the, yes, thank you. And one makes you walk in pompous <laughs> and preposterous and is maybe more of that fixed mindset of like, I'm great, I can do this. Mm -hmm. And the other one is maybe more of the growth mindset, you know, the, yes, thank you, I appreciate that. And then you put in the hard work, then you put in the discipline, then you do the rehearsals, you do the practices. I mean, I studied what do investors wear? What questions do investors ask? Why do they ask those questions? How do they become investors? That is really what got me into the world of entrepreneurship and understanding that world was because of this opportunity. But it was all that study, all that observation, all the asking questions. And I would have only done that if I was humble, if I was grateful and I realized I am not what this opportunity requires, but I'm willing to put in the work to be that person. That's the growth mindset. The fixed mindset will be like, it's just a bunch of 12-year-old girls. What do they know? I am an adult. I know more than them anyway. So let me just bring what I have. There's no growth in that mindset. No, absolutely. Man. Um, Jan, I want to I wanna ask you a couple questions here that I normally ask everyone on the podcast. Uh, and I want to lead that off with, um, who are your mentors and or what are your greatest mentoring moments that you either received or gave? Okay, great question. Mentors are essential. I think because I was always moving as a child, I couldn't really build deep, long-term friendships. Again, I sound old, but this is pre-social media world. There just really were no opportunities to stay in touch with people when you left the country. And so my greatest mentors, and I'm very grateful for this, was my own family because uh, they were the only constants in my life. And so my dad is so wise. He is so introspective. He is so 
good at asking real questions. There is no fluff talk with him. I'll do an epic event, not event, back in those days was concerts. So I'd perform, I'd do my best. I, he would congratulate me at the end of it. And then about 10, 15 minutes later, he would ask me, okay, Dan, what were three things that you thought you did really well? We'd have a conversation. Then he'd say, okay, what were three areas you think you could improve? Conversation. And then he'd say, what are things you observed? We'd have a conversation. And then he'd say, here's what I observed. And we'd have a conversation. But those simple questions is what I've applied in every aspect. Even now with my own team, if I've got my vloggers, I'll ask them, what are three things you did well? What, where are three areas you think you could grow? But learning those skills of introspection, of self-development, me being my own best coach was from my dad because he taught me that. He's also very patient. He's very gentle. He's very calm. He's very measured. My mom, on the other hand, she's a different kind of mentor. She's a multitasking queen. She can have 20 tabs open on her computer and she can be fully present in all 20 tabs. And being an entrepreneur, I have had to juggle so many things at the same time. Uh, even being an MC on stage, I have to listen to the producer in ear. I have to be really cognizant of what my audience is feeling. I have to consider my next speaker. I have to know what I am saying. I have to do that while also dealing with everything from lights to sound to the visuals on stage. So multitasking is something I've learned from my mom. My mom also has great energy. She is the, she's the loudest laugh at any party. She is the most hospitable person, always catering to everybody and managing everything. And she's a natural leader and she steps up to that. So uh, she mentored me in that. My sister is, she's, she's my little sister, but she's the boldest, strongest, most independent person I know. When I was bullied as a kid, and when a, uh, the big bully in the class, I think I was like 12 years old, or 11 years old, when he pushed me, so we were rollerblading uh, in the school playground, and when he pushed me, um, I just fell over like the loser that I was, and I lay on the ground. My sister was always very protective, even though she's my younger sister, always protective. And we had different lunch breaks because she was only in elementary school and three years younger than me. So I was 11. She would have been eight, but she was watching from the window because that's what a protective little sister does. And as soon as it happened, she didn't even excuse herself. She ran straight out of that door, out of the class it was, came downstairs, picked me up, took me to the nurse, explained to the nurse what happened. I had dislocated my elbow. I didn't even realize that. And then she went to the bully, grabbed the bully and said, that's my brother. Don't ever touch him again. And then went back to class and sat down like it was the most normal thing ever. She didn't even explain to her. She didn't even explain to her teacher what had happened and why she left. That's just what a good little sister does in her mind. And so she is just a very, very strong, courageous person. And I've seen that over and over in her life. And I have, you know, I had my sister to protect me when I was younger. But as I got older and when I went to college and I was on my own, I had to learn to be that person for myself. And so she taught me that. So I have the most incredible role models in my own family. Uh, are they perfect? No. Do we all have areas to grow? Yes. But they were incredible mentors. Um, I would also throw in, again, the spirituality thing. Because I have always read my Bible and prayed and because I fully believe in the power of the divine, uh, AKA in God, I tap into that. So I don't look at my present resources. I look into my eternal resources. I don't look into the wisdom that is in my own brain. I look into the divine spiritual wisdom that is available to me. I don't look at things that are in my own power. I look at the power that comes from dealing with 
the person or the entity that created the entire world. That's the same power I have access to. And so I see myself in that same light. And as a result, I tap into that and I spend time with God. In the Bible are incredible uh, business tips, are incredible personal development tips. These are ancient wisdom that is still true today. And so I have a great mentor even in God and in the spiritual realm through pastors and youth workers who spend time with me. So I've had some great, great mentors. And likewise, I have always found it really important to mentor others. I can, I remember mentoring people as young as 12, 13 years of age. And I think it has to be two way. As much as I am learning, I have to be giving. As much as I'm acquiring, I have to be sharing. And so, and I find that through mentoring, I also learn and grow. And so I have always mentored, I continue to mentor. And I think nowadays, my greatest pride is not the steps that I'm taking in my growth, but in seeing other people share with me how they have been inspired or they have activated something because of something they've seen in me or something that I've shared with them. My greatest boast is not in the next stage that I'm on, but my greatest boast is often in the people in my community that I'm celebrating because they're taking those first steps and they're going to another level. Wow. Man, uh, that, that's fascinating. Um, I think too often than not, uh, it's easy to, to, to look over your, the, the people who are right in front of you all the time, like your parents or your siblings, but uh, you've definitely taken full advantage of all the teachings that they've been able to provide to you. And I'm, and I'm sure they still do even to this day. Uh, that, that's awesome to hear, man, because even – for me, like my, my parents, even though I, I haven't shared it with them as much, but they have such a, a positive influence on me and, and how they've raised me and how even like to this day, I still talk to my mom and dad at, at least either once a day or, or once every other day. And I don't know if everyone has that with their family or with their parents, but I certainly do. And I'm, and I'm really grateful for that. So, you know, uh, I, I appreciate you sharing that about, about your family. Absolutely, man. Thank you for asking the question. Yeah. The, the other question that, I, that I'd like to ask are, what are your favorite books and or what are the, the books that you'd recommend? So this is a question I struggle with because I have to be honest, I don't read as much anymore. Um, I used to a lot as a kid. I read more than I played video games or watched television. The only reason I wore glasses as a child is because I would stay up late into night reading. So I really believe in reading, but I don't read as much. I have a discipline daily to read, but not enough that it influences me as much as other mediums do. So I'll get to that in a second. But currently, I'll tell you what I'm reading. Uh, I am reading actually um, about flow state, which is something we talked about earlier in this podcast. Oh, wow. And, um, and so there's a book called Stealing Fire that I'm reading. And then I've got another one here called The Future is Faster Than You Think, uh, which is, well, it's in the title. <laughs> so I don't <laughs> describe it. Uh, and so those are two books that I'm reading right now. Uh, if my go-to answer for this for any entrepreneur is, um, oh, shoot, I've already forgotten. It's called The Power of One, is it? Or no, Zero to One. My apologies. Uh, zero to One 
by Peter Thiel. That's usually my go-to because in my early days as an entrepreneur, that was a book that deeply influenced me. I will say that other mediums influence and impact me more than books do. Uh, in my career, conversations. So I will boast for a second now. I will say that I'm very fortunate that I get to talk to the authors of a lot of the greatest books and the creators of some of the greatest companies in the world. So I value those conversations. And I think for you as well, the conversations you're having in these podcasts, probably more informative and more life-changing than some of the books that you're reading. But for me, conversations are probably my most impactful medium. Um, and again, because of my career, not just conversations I'm having on stage, but conversations I'm having backstage over teas and coffees, dinners and meals with some of these people is just, that stuff is what floods my brain much more. And second to that, I would say now is video. I think I'm very much like millennial Gen Z in that mm. I consume a lot of video content and there are certain themes of videos. I wouldn't even say certain creators because again, the, the boredom in me kicks in. So after maybe binging on some YouTuber for a few weeks, a few months, I'm bored and I need something else. But it's certain themes of content that stick to me. Uh, just like people like certain genres of reading material, I like certain themes of videos. And so I think those two mediums of conversation and video impact me more than books do. But books play an important role in my life still, and I still value them. Copy that. And it's, it, it, it's finding your own, your own medium. Every person is unique, and whatever medium is the best for you, I think you just go with that. Um, one, one of uh, the other people that I brought onto the podcast, they, they said, you know, forget about what, what it is that you're not good at. Focus on what you're really, really good at and just knock that out of the park. So in, in terms of that, in terms of finding that medium or, or what elates you or what lights you up or, you know, what information you take in best, you know, if it's, whether it's a book, whether it's a conversation or whether it's a video, just keep on doing the one that you enjoy the most. I mean, would you say that's right? I would say a hundred percent. It should not feel like a chore or a duty. Uh, you, yeah, you've got to find that medium. And for some, it could be music. For others, it could be reading articles on, so if it's not books, it could be just, I know some people who are obsessed with medium and they love those shorter articles and they'll just consume tons of that. Um, so yeah, find, find the medium that works. Oh, sorry. When I said medium, I said medium in two, two contexts, medium.com, uh, as in like the website where people share their ideas and thoughts in written format, but are often much shorter articles and to the point rather than a book that can take days, weeks to get through. So yeah, find, find your medium, find your channel. Right. Uh, last question here, Dan. Uh-huh. How would you suggest someone finds their extraordinary? Ooh, great question. I would say trial and error. Of course, every age has certain opportunities uh, and certain challenges. So in your 20s, it may be easy to just move countries and try something new. When you're married and have a kid, it may not be as easy to just change countries, but maybe you could change some habits and change some behaviors. And so I'd say trial and error is the best way to find your extraordinary. 
I don't think just consuming is enough. I think one has to activate. I don't think just theoretical is enough. I think it has to become practical as well. So trial and error. Do not be afraid to fail. Do not be afraid to be uncomfortable. Do not be afraid to mess up. Um, the only thing you should be afraid of is stagnating, is compromising, is being average. To me, that is what is, those are the real enemies of extraordinary. Failure is not an enemy to extraordinary. Uh, discomfort is not an enemy to extraordinary. So in order to find your extraordinary, trial and error. Start now, start simple. One simple thought, activate it. One simple idea, do something about it. One little hunch, try it. Start now, start simple. Man, Dan, uh, you know, I want to I wanna thank you for your time um, and thank you for, for talking to me from India. I mean, this is, this is amazing uh, for, for me. And I, like I told you before, this is my first time doing a, a podcast remote. So um, I'm just, I'm very, very grateful and very thankful that you took the time to, to do this with me, man. I, I really do appreciate it. Absolutely. And thank you for doing what you do, man. These conversations are so key. I am glad for your audience that appreciate what it is that you bring to them. And I thank you for contributing positivity and good news for people who are listening. Uh, and thank you for sacrificing your time. And congratulations on your first remote, uh, virtual, Zoom call-based podcast in a non-coronavirus world. We <laughs> may have the pleasure of being together. And I hope that we one day will have a epic uh, part two to this conversation in person. Uh, but well done stepping out of your comfort zone and uh, doing this virtual podcast. Awesome, brother. Well, hey, I, again, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to my podcast. I hope I provided some insight and some knowledge that will ultimately help you expand your mind and your life. If you can do me a huge favor and subscribe to my podcast and rate it on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or whatever your favorite streaming platform is, I would sincerely appreciate it. It will help me grow and will help my message get out to the world. So again, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And I absolutely look forward to the next time I get to spend some time with you. All right, my friends, stay extraordinary.